0: Well, one of the things about ministry is that it provides really high highs and really low lows. Vocational ministry, high highs and low lows, it is not for the faint in heart. I've learned over about 20 years that the emotional bandwidth that it takes you've got to be walking with the Lord, it's a real challenge. It's the emotional highs of seeing a person come to know Jesus and commit their lives to Christ is an incredible thing. And yet, you also, over the course of years, watch people walk away from that commitment. The highs of watching, as we saw last week, people commit themselves to the Lord in baptism to tell everyone in their church that they trust in the Lord and they want to live their lives to follow him. It's a beautiful thing. It's the high of hives to be a part of seeing. Couples who are walking with Jesus say, we want to commit to be married in the covenant of marriage and to be able to do wedding after wedding after wedding and on the way home after when you're talking to your bride, you're like, I think they're going to make it. I think they're going to make it because no matter what happens if they continue to walk with the Lord, they're committed to Him. And yet to see in the same vein, people walk away from the Lord and the covenant of marriage and that. So highs and lows of ministry. Lots of highs, but often lots of lows. I'll just call them couple number one this morning. I've got another one to share later. One of the lowest of lows for me in ministry. Happy Thanksgiving, Mother. The lowest of lows for me in ministry came about seven or eight years ago, and I remember sitting in a counseling session, and it was like the 11th or 12th counseling session of this couple, and they've been married for 15 years and they've been in and out of counseling the whole time which is a good thing you ought to be in counseling and from time to time in marriage but they struggled and they struggled and they struggled in marriage and I'll never forget counseling with a biblical counselor and I were walking through things with them They had said in the beginning of all these counseling sessions, hey, we want to turn a new leaf, we're going to work hard, we have a desire. We wrote it down on paper and we spent three or four sessions just talking about the problems and listening, us listening to the problems in their marriage. We spent four or five sessions talking about the root issues, biblically the root issues of the problem in their marriage. And you could tell even at that point that they were pointing fingers at the root issue that wasn't them, of course. And then we got to the final four or five sessions where we were going to give them some effectively some homework to say, we want y'all to sit down at the table, your table in your house, and talk through this issue and that issue. And every one of those weeks, they would come back to us the next week and say, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. We we don't want to do this homework. We just want effectively y'all to listen to us And hear us. And we want the other person to change. And so the biblical counselor and I are sadly, maybe the saddest moment to say, look, we're done here. We're done here because you really don't want to change. You want to be heard. You want to be listened to. You want the other person to change. But you're not willing to come to the table and do some practical things to work at your marriage. Once you do that, we are here. We love you. We'll walk with you. But we don't have anything else to offer you. One of the lowest of lows. See, if you talk to counselors or pastors or people who walk through hard things with people, people want to be heard. They want others to change. They even can talk a good game in the beginning. But not many people are really willing to do the hard work. And that doesn't just apply to, To something like marriage and difficulty? Man, I eat too much food. I don't know if I'm going to keep that New Year's resolution that I just made with myself like after Thanksgiving. You're not even New Year's yet. Am I really willing to walk through the change required? Are you willing to walk through the change in your life that, that it's going to take to change the things that God wants to change in you that you're convicted about? Maybe you've even confessed to the Lord. Maybe you even, like the people of God in Nehemiah, have written it down and said, we're going to commit, recommit to change. I want you to see today, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter 10 today, page 406 in your Bible, underneath your chair there or close to you. There's some rich truths here in God's Word about what it looks like to change. What it looks like from talk to walk. If you're a Texan, maybe you've heard this, are you all hat and no cattle? ever heard that one? We got a cowboy hat in here. I think I saw it. I'm all hat and no cattle. Or maybe if you don't associate with that, maybe you associate with this one. I'm all foam but no beer. There you go. You heard it here. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 10. You're going to see what it looks like to not just talk but walk. He doesn't let them leave. Remember what's happened. Remember, they they built the physical wall of Jerusalem as God had instructed, and they had gone through a lot of opposition to do so, and so they're walking in obedience in that way. So they've done something physical to serve and build a wall back so the city's protected and the people can move back in and worship the Lord, but really from chapter 8, All the way through the rest of the book, it's about spiritual restoration. It's about their lives being restored brick by brick. And what we've seen is that spiritual renewal and spiritual revival, real change, starts with us embracing the Word of God, all of it. Embracing the Word of God that leads to conviction of our heart. And that conviction leads to confession with our mouths to to remind ourselves of how faithful God is in spite of how unfaithful we are that He's merciful and is good and His love endures forever that He won't forsake us. That's worship. And that worship ends in chapter 9 at the end of chapter 9 with something else. Nehemiah effectively says the service isn't over on Sunday. He shuts the doors and he said we're going to commit ourselves and we're going to write it down. We're going to write it down, how we're going to recommit ourselves, not just individually. We think individually, they're doing this as a people, as a church, if you will, as the community of faith in the Old Testament. They're saying, we're going to write it down and we're going to do it on a sealed document. And what they were committing themselves to is to walk in the way of the Lord that they've committed to in the Mosaic covenant, covenant renewal. We haven't done it, but we're going to. But, But what did that look like? You ever been there where you're going, I'm going to change, but it remains generic? You don't get specific about what that change is? Maybe it's as an individual, maybe even as a church, that we want transformation, not, con- not what am I looking for? I'm looking for a word. That's right. We want transformation in our lives. We don't just want conformity to the ways of the world. What specifically, though, do they commit to? That's what you're going to see in chapter 10. And it's going to get real granular up in their lives. Like Monday to Saturday, here's what spiritual renewal looks like. So Nehemiah shuts the door and says, we're going to deal with this. We're not going to be all foam and no beer. We are going to get down to the brass tacks of what it looks like. To see real revival, real change, real transformation happen in our lives. And he's going to get down to specific ways in which the people of God, himself included, have forsaken, have forsaken the way of the Lord. So we're going to get up. I, I don't know of an Old Testament passage that I've preached, an Old Testament passage at least, where there's more application to Monday through Saturday. So, Nehemiah chapter 10, the first 27 verses, if you look at it, we're just going to glance at it there. They've made this covenant. Um, You see in verses 1 through 27, a list of names where they write down their own names. What they're saying in all those verses effectively is saying, I'm in, and I'm going to write my name on a document to say, I'm in, and we are in. We're in on covenant renewal. And who's the first guy on the list? It's Nehemiah. He's saying, I will lead in this. And then you get to verses 28, which we're, we're going to pick it up there, because I think this is where the brass tacks really comes in. Of all the people of God, from the leaders down to the rest of the people, saying we're going to recommit ourselves to the Lord and walking in His ways. And so let me pick it up there in verse 28, and I'm just going to read to verse 39, and then we're going to unpack what does it look like to walk in God's ways with God's people, the church, this is an individual thing, you're not going to be able to pull any of these things off by yourself for transformation, rather than conformity to the world around you. Let me read it. Nehemiah 10, verse 28, we'll start there. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of the Lord. See the separation from the peoples of the land to God and his word. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding of his word. Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. That's the Mosaic covenants, blessings and cursings. To do what? you got to highlight the next few verse, ver, words here. To walk in God's law. That's what they're committing themselves to. That was given by Moses as a servant of God and to observe all the commandments of the Lord and the Lord and his rules and his statutes. And then he gets real specific. Look at it. We're going to walk in the way of the Lord. How? Verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Change in the home. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods and any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy them from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. And we will forego the crops on the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. He's talking about work and when we work and when we don't work. Verse 32, we will also take for ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of the Lord. You're going to see that phrase all the way through until verse 39, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, the, the people likewise have cast lots for the wood offerings, this is service, to bring it into the house of our God, according to the fathers' houses at the times appointed year by year to burn <clears throat> to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves, there's that word again, to bring the first fruits, not from the bottom, the first fruits of our ground. And the firstfruits of fruit of every tree, year by year, to the house of the Lord. Also to bring the house of our God to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, the following the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to bring the first of our dough, the first, the first, the first, and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priest. To the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring the Levites tithes. It's 10% from the ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns that we labor. And the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites, and the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chamber of the storehouse for the people of Israel. And the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. There are obligations that they commit themselves to and they get real specific about what it looks like to walk in God's ways as a people of God that will transform first, verse 28 through 30. Look at it their homes. Look at specifically verse 30. The first thing that they really commit to, and here's what it looks like to walk in the law of the Lord. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take daughters for our sons. Here's what that means. For a long, long time, they were intermarrying with foreign people, particularly wives and sons, the pa- remember, back in that day, it wasn't like this day where our children choose who they're going to marry. The parents were choosing. There were arranged marriage back then. And the parents were choosing. The parents were choosing to give their daughters and receive sons that were foreign, that were not a part of the family of God. And, and maybe you look at this and you go, well, that sounds kind of racist. It wasn't racist. The implication is this, y'all. The implication is not ethnicity. As a matter of fact, there were people in the lands that were not ethnic Jews that were a part of the people of God. The point is, outsiders brought foreign deities. Foreign deities into a family. So there's Yahweh and Baal. Yahweh and Molech. And God had said, A long, long time in the law before this. You have no other gods before me. You will not intermarry. And this is their practice for a long, long period of times. Remember when they came into the land flowing with milk and honey? What did they begin to do? They began to take foreign wives. They began to give their sons away to other daughters. Solomon, the leader, he had all kinds of wives that weren't a part of the community of faith. That they worshipped other gods because he wanted more. He wanted more lands. And so it wasn't an ethnic issue. It wasn't a racist issue. You can't marry someone that's a different ethnicity to you. It was idolatry. You can't have a divided house, God says. Why is that? Because God's going to share his glory with anyone else. And a divided household is a massive problem. It was probably the biggest problem. It was one of the biggest problems that Israel had that led them to walk away from God and walk toward the ways of the people, the ways of the world. And so this was a huge, huge issue in Israel's history. Not only that, we've seen it in Nehemiah, haven't we? Remember Tobiah, one of the enemies of God? He was an Amorite. But what he had done? He had married a Jewish woman from the community of faith. So he's got his claws in the Jewish community. And his son married a woman who was a Jew. And so he did all kinds, there was all kinds of opposition that Tobiah was able to wreck on the people of God because he had his claws in the community of faith. So the first one is the home, the direction of the home. Remember the prophet Elijah, when he was talking to the people, the mouthpiece of God, about their inner marriage in the Old Testament. And he said this, how long will you hop between two forks? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Get off the fence, Israel. You're my people. See, here's the deal. In, in the Old Testament, the imagery that you had of God and his people, Israel, his covenant people, was a husband and a wife. You see it in a number of places where God, in a sense, is is the husband and his wife. Israel is doing what? Abandoning the relationship, the covenant relationship with God and going off and serving other gods. And there are places, rough places in the Old Testament, specifically like Ezekiel 38, where God says, you're an adulterer. You have adulterated yourself toward other gods, you have left me and gone after other gods. So the issue is not race, the issue is a divided home. That's the issue that he's dealing with here and it had completely corrupted and divided Israel and they had moved on to forsaking God and walking in their ways. Let let me try to illustrate this division a little bit so you feel this a little bit. Men, if your wife came in to you and said, I love you, I love our life, I love our family, but there's this guy that I met, and I'd really like from Friday lunch to Saturday lunch to be with him. Fellas, how are you going to feel about that? What's the guy's address? I'm going to go deal with this. That ain't going to fly for you, is it? I mean, I'll give you 80%, husband. It's not going to fly. Ladies, let's flip this around. It's going to get interesting. Your husband comes to you and says, look, I love you, I love our life, but I met this woman. I'd just like to have lunch on Thursday, every Thursday with her, like a date lunch, and I'll give you about 80%. You better duck, man. That's supposed to be funny. You better duck. Divided husband is a dead husband. It won't wash. You can't do it. That sounds crazy. It ought to sound crazy to you. The point is this. This is exactly what the people are doing when they give their sons and daughters in marriage to adulterous people who believe in other gods. It divides the home. It divides the house. And the only thing that comes from division is corruption and people walking away from God. The missionary dating thing doesn't work. This is what God's people are doing with God in their homes. Big picture is this. Above even relationships vertically or horizontally, excuse me. The big picture that's going on here is this. God wants them to separate themselves. He wants them to pursue holiness beyond even human relationships. Are you his or are there others in your life that are more important that have sinner stage. He doesn't want to share some of you with the world. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's what the Bible says. But let me get real specific because I think the context is the home. The context is marriage. Young people. Young people or older people, if you are single in this room and you look out and you go, you know, I don't see a lot of options out here, the dating apps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't settle. The Bible calls you, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, to not be unequally yoked with someone who doesn't know the Lord. And it's not just some checklist or something He's trying to do to punish you. It's for your good if your allegiance is to Him. He wants you to find someone whose allegiance is to him also. So singles, even if they're handsome, even if they're beautiful, young people, even if they have it together, even if they're lovely and nice to you, God's got someone for you that's equally yoked with you. That's allegiance is Jesus not the things of this world. And so kids, if your parents talk to you about this, if you've got teenagers, what's the big deal? God wants all of you, and he wants the best for you. And if your allegiance is Lord, then you want to find somebody to run that race with together because that race doesn't work when you're divided very well. And if you're married, remember, the ultimate purpose of your marriage Is not just companionship. It's not just these beautiful children down here. But that relationship is a picture of the gospel of Jesus that Christ has laid down his life as the bridegroom for his bride. And the bride follows and submits. It's a beautiful picture of the relationship between Christ and us. Our marriages ought to be that picture. So we walk in God's ways, with God's people that transforms our home. But he adds something else in verse 31. Look at it. Verse 31, he says this. And if the peoples of the land, that's the people outside of Israel, unbelievers, if they bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath, for them that's Saturday, the Sabbath, where they're supposed to do what? Remember, remember God after creation? What did He do? He rested on the seventh day. He wasn't tired. He just ceased to work because He's God. And He observed all the beauty of what He created and He instituted a rhythm for the people of God on Saturday in the Old Testament to come together and worship Him, to remember Him, as Brent was saying before, to remember every week who He is, to come together in the assembly and worship Him and open the Word the Torah at that time, and learn of him and remember him and also rest. Rest from their labor. But look at what is happening. What's happening and what's been happening happening in Israel is that they like to work, maybe like some of us. And so when Sunday came around or Saturday for them came around, they're like, why would I take a day off? I need to make more money. I need to provide for my family. So you know what? I'm not going to go to worship. I'm going to keep working. And then they had a loophole in Israel. What they would do is say, I'll go to worship, but I still have people working for me and working that day. And Nehemiah is saying, no. What we're committing to is the Sabbath by faith, right? You've got to trust if you're taking a day off and you're not making money that day that God's going to provide on the other six days. See, also Chick-fil-A. There's your example if you need it, right? So they're working on the Sabbath, or maybe they're playing, but they're not coming to worship, and they're not resting. They're buying and selling goods. Jesus had some things to say about the marketplace and his house, and they said, we will not do this anymore. We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or other holy days. And the second thing is this, we will forego the crops on the seventh year. What is that? In Israel, they would plant crops, agrarian society, they planted crops in their fields. And they were supposed to give on the seventh year, like Sabbath, they were supposed to give the land, the creation, a rest on the seventh year. And they hadn't done it in 500 years. and So it affected their crops, actually. But they weren't following the law of God to give the creation a rest and they commit to do it here. We're going to give rest and then the exaction of every debt. You've seen this in Nehemiah a little bit. On the seventh year, the people that owed debts, it looks like in the Old Testament, those debts were deferred at least to the next year, if not completely wiped out. And so you, you think about this in the Old Testament, you're like, well, we don't, you know, we don't have Sabbath like that. We don't sit at home and not do so On Saturday, like, So what are the equivalents of this for us as New Testament believers? Because it's a little different, isn't it? And what we could say is this. We don't have a specific day, I don't think, a specific day that we have to rest in the New Testament. Christ is our rest, Hebrew 4, right? He's our rest, but we ought to take a day. If God, who doesn't need to rest, rests a day of the week, I think there's a rhythm for us, so pick a day. But you ought not labor all day, every day, fellas. Also, what about worship? We don't worship on Saturdays, but in the New Covenant, Jesus rose on a Sunday, and so the New Testament calls it the Lord's Day. And what does Hebrews 10 say? Y'all know it. We talked about it a lot in COVID. <laughs> Don't forsake sake your assembly together, that is habit for some, but come together and worship God. We need this. This is part of the rhythm of a New Testament believer that we come together weekly and worship on a Sunday. See, Sunday is our day. And this releasing of debts that he's talking about, I think all we could say about this is are you generous with the people that owe you? Is there a generosity toward people that might owe you something? Or is there a hard exaction of debt that you want to take? There's a lot of application here, is there not? Even as New Testament believers that don't live under the old covenant, the Sabbath on a Saturday, Can I ask you a few questions? Do you forsake a day off of rest for constant work? Do you expect, if you're an employer, do you expect the people who work under you to work seven days a week? Or are you giving them rest? And if you're constantly working, how's your health? If you're constantly asking other people to work seven days a week, how's the morale in your business? Do you trust that God will provide for your needs in those six days? How hard is it for you to actually take a day off, to turn off the texts that are coming and the emails that are coming in your work? You need it. And men, I'll just say this to you. I'm I'm coming back to the men a number of times today. God certainly... Desires for you to work hard, for you to take care of your family and do that excellently to provide for them and care for them. But I need to say something to you. There is no redemptive commitment of obedience that you have to the workplace, to the marketplace. But you do have a redemptive commitment to Jesus who laid his life down for you. That's your commitment. Care for your family. But understand, the marketplace is not going to give back to you. If you're not there, it will not miss you. But Jesus has laid his life down for you, and he wants you to rest in him. And last, we'll talk a little bit about worship. Is vocational work? Have you forsaking Sunday worship? Now we're getting real up in your business. So you're all here today. So you're good, right? Is vocational work have you forsaking Sunday worship? Or maybe, I'm just going to add this, because you work so much, your need for incessant play or other commitment have you forsaking Sunday worship? I'm not here with a list of people checking you off like a good Baptist. I don't do that. I'm not for that. That's not my point. I want you to experience life that happens in corporate worship where these folks spend a lot of time all week preparing for us to worship the Lord. That I'm in the Word preparing and others are in the Word preparing so you feast on the Word so that you Monday through Saturday can go out and live with some fuel in the tank, that you open your Bibles day by day as well, but corporate worship is built into the rhythm of what God wants for you. Do the sun, moon, and stars have to line up for you to get here on Sunday? Is it a commitment that you've made with your family? Men, one more time, your wife should not have to drag your tail out of bed on Sunday morning while she's getting the kids ready? She should not have to do that. You need to lead here. Pin drop. The reason, y'all, the reason the people of God back then found themselves so far away from their Lord is because they forsook. They forsook coming together together in worship, and they were spending all their time in work. You need the Lord. I'm in this for you. I'm in this so you grow in the Lord and you change in the Lord like these people are committing to do here. So we gotta put work in the right place. We gotta be transformed by meeting with God on the Lord's day. We gotta put faith in God and not our wallets but it leads, that kind of leads me to the last thought here. So we got home transformation. We got work transformation. And the second point, if you missed it and you like taking notes, I forgot to say it And all the things that I was saying. Walking in God's way with God's people transforms our perspective on work. And your last thought is this. Walking in God's way with God's people also transforms our priorities with time and money. Yeah, we're going to go there. That's where the text goes. That's where I'm going. Time and money. I want you to look at verse 34 real quick. Verse 34. And then we'll come back to um, verses 32 and 33 and the rest of it. There's really two things going on here. One of them is service to the Lord or time given in service to the Lord. And the other one is what we give to the Lord. Verse 34, I'll start there with service. Look at it. It says, We the priests, the Levites, the people, likewise cast lots for wood offering. What in the world is that? To bring it to the house of our God, according to the Father's houses, at the time appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord. Here's what they were doing. They were make, the, the, the priests, the Levites, they were making sacrifice to God, and there were two of these. There was one early in the morning, and it was a wood offering, so they needed wood. They needed a fire to be going early in the morning. Think about Israel. Not a lot of wood around. You had to walk a ways to get wood. You had to go a ways to get wood. So they needed the people of God to help the priest, to help them, to serve in the house of the Lord early in the morning. And really, all through the day, because the last, there's two sacrifices. The last one was in the evening. And so you've got to keep a fire going all day in Israel. You need people. Anybody make campfire Think about how much monotonous work it is to keep a fire going all day in a place where it's just rocky, and you've got to go find wood. I can just stick my kids on that, right? We had a campfire at Thanksgiving, and we went for a while. We had to keep getting wood over and over and over. It takes work and service and time to get wood. And maybe you're thinking, when you're doing that, when you're getting wood, you're like, I don't get these moments in my life back. You ever have those things in your life you just got to do, like washing dishes or whatever it is? I I don't get any of these moments back. I wish I could. And it feels monotonous. It feels like it doesn't matter. But this is sacrifice in the house of God. It absolutely matters. And maybe you come on Sunday morning, you're like, man, I serve coffee. I serve donuts to people. How is that a big deal? Caring for the people of God, it's a big deal. AV, you just get yelled at all the time because you get it wrong. Worship team shows up here at 7 o'clock, or 7.15. The the stage people come at like 6 something on a Sunday morning after Thanksgiving, y'all. Thank you. To set up this stage and pipe and drape, kids' workers come early and set up their classes and get ready to teach your kids the gospel. And it's easy in the church, especially a kind of semi-mobile church like us, I'm just so tired of it to set up chairs, to sit in chairs a little bit hard for an hour and 15 minutes. And it's easy to get in a mindset and a perspective that says it doesn't matter. Why am I doing this? It does matter for the Lord. He sees you. It matters. You're serving Him in whatever capacity it is. It's not monotonous. It matters to God. And also, you see in verse 32 and 33, you you really see a number of different financial gifts, effectively. You see the temple tax in verse 32. It's a third part of a shekel service to the house of God. And basically, this is like the operating budget to keep the house of the Lord going. So people need to give to the temple tax every year to keep all of this going, to care for the priests and the Levites and to care for all the things that have to happen. So that there's a temple tax that the people of God... Remember these people? These are people that have built the wall. These are people that have had, like, Persian tax on them, heavy weight. They're not wealthy people. They're people with little. Nehemiah won't even take his allotment, his per diem, when he's a governor from Persia, because the people of God don't have... Enough food to eat almost. And yet, here, what they're committing to is giving, financial giving, service and time and financial giving. And then you keep looking at verse 35 and following, and you keep seeing the word what? First fruits. First fruits. Give of your first fruits give a tithe, that's 10% of all their income. And you notice all the detail in here? It's everything. It's just not what you bring home. It's everything. It's, and and again, agrarian society, and so they're giving their best um, animals. They're giving their firstborn to the service of the Lord. They're giving 10% of their income. And these aren't a people that have a ton of money. Not only are they given financially, They are also serving. Here's what they're not saying. I don't have much, so I'll just serve more. Or I have a lot of money or more money, so I'm not going to serve. They're doing both. You see, walking in God's way with God's people transforms our priorities with both time and our finances. Our priorities there. And you go, well, that's the Old Testament. (laughs) Right? What's the New Testament translation? The New Testament, you don't see the word tithe in the New Testament, but do you do see offering. And an offering is sacrificial. means it hurts a little bit when you give it. It means it hurts a lot when you give it. It's sacrificial. It's a giving. It's sacrificial offering to the Lord. There's a number of things that you see in the New Testament about giving. Financial giving. You see, you see clearly that you're supposed to give cheerfully, As the Lord has given to you the indescribable gift of Christ, and so it's worship, but you also see that you're supposed to give off the top like they were, your first fruits. Can I translate that for us? That means that, for example, if you pay your bills on the 15th or the 30th, that you give off the top. You don't go, man, I got a lot of gifts to buy in December, and so whatever's left, I'm going to give whatever's left. You give off the top. You give of your first fruits of what God has given you. I had a guy early on in this church sharing about, we were talking about church and finances and different things, and he said, you know, Pastor, um, there was a long time when we really struggled financially, and so I just didn't give, or I didn't give very much, and I would just give whatever leftovers I had from the bottom to the church. And the New Testament also says that your first priority in giving financially is to your local church. There are other things you can give to, but first is the household of faith, because the household of faith is who teaches you and who cares for you And first. And he said, you know, I, I just wouldn't give that much. And man, we were so always so tight, and we got further and further into debt. And you know what? One, one month, I just decided I'm just going to give 10%. I'm just going to give a tithe. I know it's an offering and that's sacrificial, but I'm going to give till it hurts. And this guy wasn't a health wealth guy. He wasn't a vending machine guy. If, if I give, then God's going to do this. That's not this guy. And he said, Pastor, God has always, since, since the moment I did that, and I trusted by faith, because that's what this is. All this that we're talking about today is faith, trusting in God, Sabbath, Trusting God with your family, trusting your God with finances and service, giving it to him, and he will provide? And he said, I've never worried about our finances. New Testament says it this way, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, he who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, he who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. God's not a vending machine, it's what we're talking about. But when you open up and you say, I'm by faith going to trust God with what he's given, because it's not yours anyway, it's not mine anyway. And listen, you need to hear this. I'm uncomfortable talking about money in a church because I'm employed by the church, okay? It's uncomfortable to do this, but again, I care about your walk with the Lord. I care about your discipleship. I care about you trusting by faith. By faith. Not your... Not your your balance, by faith that God's going to provide for you. I don't need a new car. I don't need a new truck. I like mine just fine. Okay? You need to hear that. I'm not that kind of preacher. This is not that kind of church. We want you to grow. We want you to grow in your willingness to trust God with your finances and give off the top, not off the bottom. So our priorities of time and money Nehemiah is teaching a lot. He's locked the doors. He said, We're going to deal with these things. He's gotten super, maybe more granular than you want him to get in this text. And you want me to say in this text, in our home life, in our finances, in our work, lots of, lots of application. You know, I told you about a couple in the beginning who really did it their own way. And they talked about wanting change, but they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't trust God with it. About two months after that, which I was wrecked. You ever have that feeling in your stomach where you just get punched and it's that way for a couple of days, you can't eat, you can't? That's the way that felt, as a pastor of these people. A couple weeks later, another couple comes in, and they are a wreck, y'all. He cheated on her, she's broken, He's not feeling much because he's still, in his mind, like is attached himself to this other woman. And it was a wreck. And I'm like, here we go again, another gut punch. <laughs> a few weeks just listening, praying, crying, grieving with him. She's not wanting to come to the table because she's so broken, rightfully so. He's checked out emotionally, slowly. Surely, she's willing to come to the table. He's willing to recommit himself to his marriage. Got to week 10 to 12. And they're, they're at a place where they're saying, we're going to trust. I don't like him right now. I have lots of anger toward him. He's broken my heart. And for him, still attachment. But we're going to trust by faith, that God can preserve this marriage and bring this marriage back. And seven years later, they got three kids, and they're doing well. Why? What's the difference? One of them did it their way. Frank Sinatra don't work, y'all. They did it their way, with their conditions. The other couple humbled themselves and say, only God can fix this. We're going to do it His way. That's what this text is about. That's what spiritual renewal is about. I'm going to do it God's way. That's your takeaway today. Do it God's way. If you want transformation in your home, do it God's way. If you want transformation in your work, and the perspective you have on your work, do it God's way. If you want the priorities of time, And even your finances to change, you got to do it God's way. You got to trust Him with your life. Do it His way. Let me pray.